0: Time, money, and happiness are amongst many things I talk about today as I reflect back on 12 months of the Most Hated F Word podcast. Enjoy. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Welcome back to the most hated F word podcast. Today, I'm doing something a little different. Today's going to be a solo session. Why a solo session, you might ask? Well, for me, it's a believe it or not. I'm coming up on a year of having the Most Hated Effort podcast. I released the first episode April 8th of 2020, and already a year has passed. And today, I want to talk about Two common themes that I have seen throughout the year as I've interviewed 33 guests. Well, 33 people have been published, and I have quite a few more ready to go. But I thought I'd take some time on this one year anniversary that I'm quite, quite frankly, honored to have to talk about a couple of common themes that I've learned from my guest. And one of the themes that I've learned throughout the year was. This idea of time versus money. This has always been something that I've thought about, that I've pondered about, and it really reinforced to me over the last 12 months that a lot of the guests that I've interviewed, in some way or another, talked about time versus money. And a lot of them suggest the value that comes with focusing on time. I'm going to get into... This idea of focusing on time versus money later, as there's some great research that I'm going to talk about, but when I say focusing on time, I'm not ignoring the fact that we can't, or I'm not not focusing on, that was double negative, but... I'm not suggesting we don't focus on money because we need money. Uh, The way our society, the way our world works is we rely on money. We need money for shelter. We need money for food. We need money to do the aspirational things that we have in our life. But are we not focusing enough on time? Time is one of our greatest assets because if you think about it, we all have the same amount of time. That's one consistent thing. Yet, we consistently feel that we have a limited amount of time, while it seems to our eyes that other people might have more time. And one of my personal beliefs around time, and I've held this before I started the podcast that has been reinforced by the podcast, is to get more life out of my time. That's been kind of a guiding motto for myself or family as we uh, navigate this wild, fun, exciting journey of life. But it's again, it's to get more life out of my time because I've realized I can't get more time, can't buy that on Amazon, but maybe I can get more life out of my time. So I came to this idea because I felt like I wasn't really in control of my time. I was so busy and I was intentionally well, sorry, I was unintentionally keeping myself busy and it's because I felt good in the moment that I was doing these dopamine, um, these dopamine satisfying tasks that were making me feel like I was on the right track, but I was so busy and I was so time starved that I didn't actually have time to slow down and think. And I felt like I was constantly juggling work, emails, cleaning, cooking, racing to work, coming home, trying to do runs, trying to exercise. And I really started feeling depleted and exhausted. And that's when I really started to question how I was spending my time. And by no means am I uh, suggesting that I have everything figured out. I think we, we never actually have things figured out, but I'm inspiring, aspiring to do the best I can in managing my time and managing the amount of focus I put on my money. So that's why I started this podcast, is to how to get more life out of my time. Because I want to look back when I'm 90 years old to say, hey, I did it. I lived a meaningful and impactful life. I spent my time where I wanted to. So the idea of time versus money, I'm going to talk a bit about it later, some more, but another common theme that I pulled out of this year was our stories. And I've always been intrigued by the stories we tell ourselves, the money stories that we've adopted. And a lot of Dr. Brad Klont's work has inspired me and motivated me to continue working in this field Dr. Brad Klontz is one of the founders of the field of financial psychology. I was fortunate to have him on episode number 19 and his father, Dr. Ted Klontz, on episode number 23. They're both extremely wonderful people. I suggest if you haven't listened to episode number 19 and number 23 um, to go give it a listen. But one of my other mentors, James McPartland, he has this quote that really sticks with me. The most powerful story you'll ever tell about yourself is the story you tell to yourself. James McPartland was on episode number 17 of the podcast. He's a fascinating individual. And this idea of stories and the stories we tell ourselves are the most most important ones in our lives. It's so true because the stories that we tell ourselves inside of our head turn into our reality. And we see that with money the thoughts, feelings, and beliefs that we have around money end up coming out of us in the forms of our actions. And we call that the financial iceberg, where it has been said that the tip of an iceberg represents only 10% of the actual iceberg, where 90% of the iceberg is actually below the ground. Or below the ground, below the water. So when we look at our financial iceberg, that suggests that our actions, the things that people see on a daily basis, that only represents 10% of the entire story. Below the waterline is where all of our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs around money influence our our actions above the waterline. And that's why I feel like information, like acquiring more personal finance information, hasn't been as impactful as we want. And I could say that because I look at the statistics here in Canada and U.S. is very similar, is that money is the top stressor in our lives, despite the vast amount of information that we have. We consume it and we try to change our behaviors, our actions. But as the financial iceberg model shows, that's only 10% of the story. And when we only focus on that top 10%, we try to use willpower to change our behaviors. And I know from experience, willpower is fleeting at best. So this idea of stories has really stuck out for me because our stories form the baseline on how we see ourselves and they ultimately ultimately shape our worldview. Sorry, I just needed some water. <laughs> but really, this idea of stories is so interesting for me, our money stories, because our existence as humans relies on stories. And how many times do we find ourselves telling a story that is incorrect, outdated, or as false information? Because we all grow. However, most of us, we don't go back to see if our stories are still serving us well. We just continue to operate. But as a result, we continue on in our life Operating from stories that are outdated are incorrect. Our stories form who we are. Our stories are our lives. That's what James McPartland says, and it's so true. And if you look at history around stories, for centuries, stories have been used as a means of educational and knowledge exchange. However, when stories around things in our lives, such as money, are passed on by our generations as truths. That's where we get into potentially some trouble. And Dr. Klantz's research really shows that when we take on these money scripts, as he calls them, or money stories as truths, then that's how this function could show up because times have changed and these stories might not be relevant anymore. A good example is, say, someone's grandfather, and this is in one of Dr. Klantz's books, but one of the one of the stories in the book shows that a grandfather lost money in 1940s from the banking system. He lost all trust in banks and the banking systems during the 40s, but he held on to that truth and passed it on to his children. And sure, that made sense in the 40s. However, with a lot of um, changes in the banking system, sure, some might argue that um, you still can't trust them, but for the most part, we can trust the banks. But holding on to that outdated truth isn't a truth anymore. It's an impartial truth because it was true at one point. So that's the difficulty of when we take on stories from prior generations. And the interesting thing I find is that everybody listening, we've all been given a money story. This is the baseline story on how we think, feel and act around money and As Dr. Klontz talked about on our episode number 19, for the most part, we're totally unconscious how these money scripts and stories are showing up. What I found fascinating about episode number 19 with Dr. Brad Klontz is that how he just talked about, for most of us, we're this actor or actress in our money stories playing out a script that was given to us from generations ago and we're totally unconscious from our we're totally unconscious that it's happening. And that's, the, as I mentioned earlier, the, the potentially dysfunctional f- part of money stories. So the podcast, back to the podcast. This idea of having stories and unconscious stories is why I interview the people I do. Because my goal is to help us awaken our money stories so that we can all get more life out of our time. And I'm going to go back to this idea of financial education. I believe in financial education. I thoroughly do. But I also look at the statistics. We're becoming more in debt. We're, as I mentioned, money is still one of the top stressors in our life, despite all this advancement in uh, information and technology of how information uh, lands on our desk, on our mobile phones, however information gets to us. Innovation has been wonderful for humans. It has. There's no question about that. However, I think it's really also up or opened the floodgates of information, especially personal finance information, but just information in general that we consume on a daily basis. We all know that. We're consuming way more information than generations ago. And that's whether it's the never-ending wave of emails, the constantly dinging notifications, or the perpetual social media updates, or those seemingly urgent text messages that literally go off all the time. We feel compelled to keep up with all the information. We check the social media statuses. We check the uh, news apps. We have this feeling inside of us that we're missing out if we don't check it. We get a sense of dopamine when uh, we get a new ding or notification on our social media. But current research from Harvard Business suggests that the surging volume of available information and its interruption of people's work can adversely affect not only a person's well-being, which by itself is not good, but also it impacts, impacts their decision-making ability, innovation, and productivity. Wow, hey? And I know this stuff's intuitive, but I bring this back to financial education. We all want to get better with our money, and we're trying. And it's not our fault that we're hardwired certain ways to think, feel, and believe about money. And it's also the way our narrative is right now is we acquire more information to try to get better. But this also goes to a term that was coined by Bertram Myron Gross. I know I said that name incorrectly and I apologize, but the term is called information overload. And this was coined by Bertram, who used it to describe when computers struggled to process large amounts of data. Now, In the 21st century, I'm confident to to say that we're all experiencing this information overload as humans, and especially in the personal finance space. And I know I'm sitting here talking about money and also talking about that we spend too much time thinking about money. But what I feel is that we're focusing so much on the technical side of money, which we do need to know absolutely. But I feel like we need to spend more time in the dark, deep waters of the, our financial iceberg. We need to start focusing on awakening our money stories to peek out without doubt to see what's on the other side when we really hone in how money makes us feel, how our money beliefs are shaping us. And that's a big part of the, our point of the podcast. And that's why I bring on the guests that I do. The last part of this information overload is research has actually shown that this level of information, this massive increased amounts of information actually distracts us from our task and reduces our productivity. We kind of talked about that earlier, but it interferes with our natural thought processes and our abilities to apply that logic, creativity, and innovation. So potentially, is acquiring new information actually making us I hate to say it, but dumber? Okay, so why am I talking about this? Because as I mentioned earlier, the aim of the podcast is not to just give you a whole bunch more of information. There's nothing against that. There's a place for acquiring information and I respect everybody doing that. But my thought is is that our brains can't handle too much information and real life doesn't really operate in a way that allows us to take on so much information. And something that I do want to talk about is that we've all heard of these success stories like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, or other startup companies that went from operating their companies in their basement or other individuals who went from zero to millions or billions of dollars. Despite those stories are possible, The chances for this type of change, like hitting this massive home run, are less than 1%. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't aspire to do that. But what I'm saying is these stories are cool, sexy, interesting, and they sell a lot of clicks and um, magazines. But the thing is, is lots of people sign up for that race and there's only one winner. My goal in this podcast is to look for people who... Are doing things that we can implement as average people immediately. And when I say average, I'm not saying that we can't be, um, we can't aspire for more. We absolutely can. But what I really feel is that we can all start to feel and. Live an enriched life without having the millions and millions of dollars in the bank account. I'm not saying that it's not good to have uh, money in the bank account and savings. I'm not saying that at all. At all, what I'm saying is that this podcast is for the people who want to start living an incredibly enjoyable and enriched life as soon as possible, all while still striving for their financial goals. And this comes to the point I talked about: time versus money. Research has actually coined a name for this, and it's called time affluence. And as the podcast continued on throughout the last year, I realized how many of our guests focus on this idea of time affluence, which means having control over your time. And it's been shown to have one of the greatest indicators of increasing our levels of happiness or experiencing more moments of happiness in our lives. Seneca, the great. Stoic once said, many times an old man has no other evidence besides his age to prove he has lived a long time. And back to my slogan to get more life out of my time, it's all about acquiring moments that make me feel excited to be alive. It's all about having a healthy relationship with money so that I can go and do things that I really enjoy despite not having a massive amount of money in the bank account. And I really feel like that's where true change lives. Famed author Seth Godin suggests, I think most people who are stuck are so because they're attached to the outcome and they've reverse engineered from the outcome. And I find it so true when we, look at, uh, when we look at or if we're focused on replicating what other people have done because we look at their desired outcome and then we try to, as Seth Godin said, reverse engineer it into our own lives. But often we're left feeling dissatisfied and dis- disappointed because we're not that person. So we probably won't be able to do exactly what that person did. However, when we flip that around and don't look at the outcome, so to speak, more so what did that person do and how can we apply that to our lives, I feel like lots of change can happen. And that's something that kind of naturally emerged through the podcast is listening to people's journeys to see what they've done to increase their overall well-being as they navigate their own money stories. And I think that's the power of interviewing people and hearing their stories. And that's why I have interviews and not solo sessions like this. Again, solo sessions are great, but the way that I envision this podcast is hearing other people's stories. Because all of us are embarking on our own unique journey. And when we hear about other people's journey, it often allows us the time and space to reflect on our own journeys, our own life stories, our own life money stories. In Seth Godin's book, The Practice, he suggests that the magic relies in embracing the practice, as he calls it, the journeys that create our stories. The practice is the steps that take you to unleash the unique magic being held inside of you and not what others think of you. And when we apply that to our money stories, that's where I really think a lot of power comes, is that when we embrace our own practice, our own journey, our own stories, then we can really go inwards and go below that waterline to really examine our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs we have around money that ultimately will allow us the time and space to unleash what we want and not what other people want from us or what we think other people want from us. Because I strongly believe this idea of money scripts and I've talked about it before, but these money scripts are so influential and we only can change, modify, or enhance them when we go below that waterline. And to me, the fact that you're listening to this podcast shows that you're curious about money stories and a relationship with money. You're open to the fact and you're ready to explore your past, present, and future money stories. And I'm super excited for that. So I want to go back to this idea of time versus money and time affluence. Again, I quickly talked about time affluence earlier, but I want to touch on it again. So time affluence is the feeling that one has sufficient time to pursue activities that are personally meaningful to reflect, to engage in leisure. Time poverty, on the other hand, is the feeling that one is constantly stressed, rushed, overworked, and behind. So you can see just between those two definitions of time affluence and time poverty, how important time is in our lives. And for many of us, it seems that we've been prescribed this notion or idea that the pursuit of happiness comes explicitly in the form of money. Once I obtain X amount of raise, once I obtain that bonus, once I obtain an investment portfolio of X amount, or once I have this amount, this much savings in my bank account, I will be happy or I will do whatever. I found myself saying that many times and I know a lot of people I talk to also have the same uh, experiences. And we see this everywhere. In fact, we've even coined a name for some of this. We call it delayed gratification. And yes, I know delayed gratification can and really does play an important role in our lives and has helped many people. I'm not disputing that at all. In fact, a research paper showed that people's self-reported financial well-being increases with the more savings we have which is a form of delayed gratification. So I'm not arguing delayed gratification at all. I'm making an observation that I feel like sometimes we take delayed gratification too far. And just like anything, the more extreme we get, the potential that it might not have the same benefits. So that's my question is, have we taken this relentless pursuit of money too far? Are we ignoring the seemingly important things in life? Like our time, because our time is all we really have right now. Are we attaching too much of our happiness on how much money we have or we don't have? An interesting research uh, showed that it was an American research paper, but it showed that Americans' happiness levels. Sorry, I'm going to pause there. I'm making a statement or I'm making an assumption that if there was a Canadian paper, maybe there is, that it would have the same results. Nonetheless, this paper showed American happiness levels have in fact remained constant over the last 50 years. That's right. Americans' happiness levels have in fact remained constant over the last 50 years, despite large increases in the country's financial wealth over the same period of time. Our cars have become bigger, faster. I mean, they're even driving themselves right now. Our houses are fancier. They're bigger. They have more garages. They have larger bathtubs. Our wardrobes in our houses have expanded tenfold, yet our happiness levels remain the same. What's going on here? And sure, we've certainly moved the needle forward with some positive changes. People are challenging this narrative, but... For the most part, I feel like this prescription to happiness still remains same, the same. Money is the source central source to our happiness. The pursuit of money is what's driving us to desire to be happier. And we see it all the time. We go to school, we graduate, we work hard, we try to get promoted, and we spend the best hours of our days Getting ready for work, going to work, and coming home from work. And then when we get home, we try to rush through cooking supper. We think about work. We think about that in email. And we try to save a little bit of money. This takes me back to this idea of our time versus money. I'm not saying that we all need to quit our jobs. I'm not saying that at all. It's not feasible. It, it doesn't work that way. Well, for the most part, it doesn't. But what I'm saying is that perhaps if we have a shift in mindset, we can do an immediate shift change or we can move our own internal needle uh, sooner than we think. And I say this because there's some great research from Dr. Holmes that has shown that if we change our focus from work or money to time, we can actually become happier in a very short period of time. Her research article called The Pursuit of Happiness, Time, Money, and Social Connection showed that an effective way to um, dramatically increase our happiness levels quickly requires us to shift our attention from our money to our time and how we spend our time. So just think about yourself. How often do you find yourself or how often have you found yourself saying or thinking, once X happens, I'll be much more happy. We kind of talked about this earlier. Or once X happens, I'll do so forth. But How many of us find us meeting that goal, yet we realize for the most part our happiness levels remain the same? Because if you're like most people, which I feel like you are like most people because you're a human, um, once we accomplished X, we find that there's just this next goal that our brain attaches to and we start pursuing that goal. The other thing happening here is there's a term called hedonic adaptation that really applies to our financial lives. Hedonic adaptation is the tendency of us humans to quickly return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite recent positive or negative events in our life. And this applies to money too. As we increase our money incrementally, we adapt to it and we become relatively same levels of happiness. Dr. Brad Klontz and his father, Dr. Ted Klontz, wrote a book with uh, Rick, uh, Rick Kaler, who also was on the podcast. Very fascinating guy, Rick. But they wrote a book called The Financial Wisdom of Ebenezer Scrooge. And I have read this book so many times, both books, but I've read The Christmas Carol so many times, and I never thought about it from a money script's perspective until I read Dr. Klontz and um, Rick, Kaler's, or, yeah, Rick Kaler's book. But essentially, it's a great example. It's Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol shows a man, Scrooge, who solely focused on money and ignored the importance of time. So Scrooge spent much of his life focusing on money, making it, counting it, everything to do with money. And despite all of Scrooge's wealth, his Scrooge-like behaviors existed because his unhealthy relationship and unhealthy beliefs about money. Scrooge had more money than he ever needed. But due to these unhealthy beliefs about money, he trapped himself. He created a financial prison in his negative thoughts around money, ultimately keeping him poor in his mind. However, towards the end of the book, he becomes a happier man. Once he stopped counting his coins, following those visit, visits from the Ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, he realized the importance of spending his time on things and people that actually matter to him is what was important. This leaves me to the final part of the podcast today. A theme that I really want to focus on in 2021 is, are we spending our time in areas that are congruent with our core values? Because something that we're really going to focus on this next year is how can we flourish beyond our finances? And the research has shown, and it's clear that when we spend our time and money on our core values, our reported levels of life satisfaction increase dramatically. But the hard part here is what are our core values? As I've embarked on this journey to identify my core values, I realized it was a lot harder than I thought. It was easy just to quickly say a, some core values. That's that's easy. It's easy to look at a list and pick out the core values. But what was hard was to actually dive below the waterline of my financial iceberg and really challenge myself to think about what my core values actually are and am I actually showing up and living with them? And I think this misalignment or incongruency between our actions, the tip of the iceberg, and our core values below the iceberg, this misalignment is what causes us to feel frustration around money. Not the sole sole focus of the frustration, but a part of it. And I think it's also why it seems like for every raise or pay increase we get, we still have the same financial frustrations. I think it also helps to explain why we feel like at the end of the month, there's never enough money. And again, why do we feel like I never have enough time to focus on things I want? And I'm not saying this misalignment or incongruency between our time and money and our core values is the sole answer, but I think it has a large Uh, Impact on those questions that we're feeling. Because often when we leave these things unexamined, when I say these things, it's the congruency between our actions and our core values, we feel frustrated, we feel stressed. As I mentioned before, we're living an incongruent life when we do this, which means our actions, that tip of the iceberg, isn't aligned with the core values. So let's go back to Dr. Holmes' research on time, happiness, and money. Her research demonstrated how much more happiness we can experience when we shift our thoughts from money to time. Her laboratory and field experiments revealed that just implicitly activating the thought of time motivates individuals to spend more time with friends and family and less time working. And those are all behaviors that are associated with greater reported levels of happiness. In contrast, explicitly activating money motivated people to work more and socialize less, which although could be more productive, does not increase happiness. So I want to talk about one of the examples in her study. Um, she examined people, or her her research team examined people in a busy cafe at a university. They looked at about 88 people. And when the people entered the cafe, they were given a gift card for free, which was great. But in exchange, they had to do a questionnaire. In this questionnaire, they had scrambled words, which were used to prime either time, money, or neither. So depending on the questionnaire, some people got words that prime time, the feeling of time. Some people got uh, words that prime the the idea of money and some just had a neutral one that was their controlled uh, group. So then they were left to do whatever they wanted to do in the cafe. I think the time spent in the cafe was anywhere from two to a hundred, two minutes to 112 minutes. But there was, there were observers in the cafe watching what the participants did. The participants didn't know who was observing them and they observed whether they talked with people, talked on the phone, worked what they were doing. And When the people exited the cafe, participants were then presented with a second questionnaire in which they had to report on a five-point scale to the extent they felt happy and satisfied. So what do you think? Perhaps I just primed you to think about the correct answer, but you may have guessed it. Participants primed with money worked more than those in the controlled setting, Makes sense to some degree, and participants primed with time worked less than those in the control. Well, we're we're, we're seeing some uh, interesting results here, but further examination of the participants showed that the levels of reported happiness while aging in the cafe revealed that the participants who were primed with time were happier than those primed with money. So that's interesting. The people who were primed with the word time reported higher levels consistently of happiness and satisfaction than the people primed with the word work. And as they looked into the research more, they thought how what was the differentiation here? And they determined that the people that were primed with time spent more time socializing, which was the key uh, differentiation on what increased their happiness levels. So spending time with people you care about, loved ones doing things that you like and socializing by this research shows that it can increase our levels of happiness. There's something though I want to be clear and I talked about this already is that money, we need it. So I'm not suggesting let's just not care about money and let's just focus on our time. We do need money. I want to start looking at a better balance between how much time we're spending on our money versus how much time are we spending on doing the things that align with our values. Money is important. It allows individuals to acquire the necessities for survival and it helps us minimize our dependence on others, which is important for us. However, it just seems as a society, we've gone to an extreme end and we've focused too much on money. We've forgotten how important our time is. Time is tied to emotional fulfillment. That's why it makes us feel good when we spend time on things that matter. Whereas money is simply tied to utility. When we truly understand and embrace our core values and start aligning our actions to spend our finite time on our core values, I feel like our life becomes more enriched and we get that feeling of more life out of our time. We experience more satisfaction and greater happiness, which is awesome. So our core values, why I bring them up, is they're an important indicator on where we should spend our time. Because if we don't know intrinsically where we should spend our time. We might spend our time on what we think other people want, what we think social media want. But when we're true and we understand our core values, then we can really spend our time and money on things that increase our own well-being and life satisfaction. So as I come to an end here, the focus for 2020 is going to be on this this idea on time. And how can we allocate our time in the present that's going to increase our levels of happiness and flourishing? And I like this idea of how we can flourish beyond our finances. And what that means is how can we flourish beyond our finances in a way that we don't need to have oodles of money in the bank account to be happy or to be able to flourish? We're also going to continue to awaken our money stories on, continue to talk about our money stories. We've been hardwired a certain way. I'm 35 years old. I've been hardwired a certain way for 35 years. So it takes time to rewire those old, outdated stories. And the third theme that we're going to focus on is creating that thriving relationship with our money, a relationship that we coexist with money. We don't depend on money to be happy. So I want to thank each and every one of you who have listened over the past year. It has been truly an honor. And I want to thank you for all the times you decided to listen to my podcast amongst all the million other ones. And I want to thank you for all the times you shared my podcast with other people. Our financial lives are a journey. It's a mountain without top. We're always striving and never arriving. And that's the beauty of it all. In summary, I feel like it's so important to identify our money stories and our money scripts so that we can start to gain the power over our relationship with money. Because when we understand our money relationships and what's important, our entire money framework changes in a healthy matter. Thank you. And I look forward to the rest of 2021 and the next 12 months. Before I head out today, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please It'd mean a lot if you could head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review. Thank you so much, and we'll chat with you soon. Thank you for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Melissa as much as I did. As I mentioned a couple times, go out, buy her book. It is amazing. Happy Go Money. Until next time, have a great day.